0: In our industry, the greatest resource we have is our people, the men and women who have poured, served, seated, greeted, and worked tirelessly to help us thrive. Yelp for Restaurants would like to support you in recognizing their efforts by giving back to those who have given us so much. The Servies have returned for a second cheer. This first-of-its-kind set of awards celebrates our front-of-house workers. Winners receive a beautifully designed Servies trophy and a $3,000 tip. That's right. $3,000 $3,000 in their pocket. Do you know someone deserving of a service award? Maybe they work at your restaurant. Visit the today and nominate them for a chance to win. Let's support the service industry together do so by nominating someone today. No purchase necessary must be 18-plus in a U.S. resident. Six nominated contest winners will receive a prize of $3,000. Nominations must be submitted between July 31st, 2023 and August 23, 2023. See the official rules available at theservies.com.
1: Now here we go. A lot of restaurants are known to have the best chef or the best food, and they've used tweezers and all this kind of stuff, right? And that's awesome. But that's a third of the experience. The discipline to look at everything you do, how you pay your employees, how you schedule time off, how you clean your front windows. It's that discipline that can be exhausting. And to me, that's what's exciting about it. If you want to sign up for that discipline and that hard work and doing it every day, bring it on. Welcome to Full Comp. A show offering
0: insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders and innovators, served up on the house. The most direct path to success is to follow in the footsteps of the already successful. After 30 years in various leadership positions at the famed Union Square Hospitality Group, Mark Maynard decided to go independent. But rather than starting his own restaurant, he's chosen to help other restaurateurs implement the best practices of his former employer. Today, we discuss the strategies that make Union Square so successful and the tools we can use to achieve the same result.
1: The answer for me is that I saw what a really solid company can do to tackle something like a global pandemic. And of course, over those 30 years, I learned a ton. And I kind of felt, well, why should we be the only ones who know this kind of stuff? And so I saw it as an opportunity. Like all of your listeners, I was pretty exhausted at the end of the pandemic, And so it was kind of a good inflection point for me, which was, okay, high five. We opened all of our businesses. I'm exhausted. You're exhausted. Let's take a break and let's start something fresh. I love that. What I would imagine
0: was probably, and granted there are a lot of software tools now. I went independent as an entrepreneur when I was 24 and I'm turning 44. What I didn't expect was coming from, the cradle that is other people's businesses. is just that everything you do, it's like the first time. So the first time you send out an invoice, well, what does that invoice look like? When information is contained on that? It's simple as that. It's all starting from scratch. And so there's this common idea in coaching. Everyone pays. Everyone pays either with time or with money. So either you give me your money and I save you time, or you save your money and you take as much time as you need to, to figure it out independently. When you decided to get into coaching and consultation and advising, how did you learn what to do? How did you learn to systematize all of the lessons that you had
1: learned? And did you use a coach to learn how to be a coach? What I did was I gave myself, as you mentioned time, I gave myself the benefit of time. And I religiously, I took six months and I told the people I knew that I'm taking six months to explore myself. And so I traveled, I read more than I think I've read. I always liked reading, but I actually sat and read and there's a book I read called designing your life, which is a pretty cool book about when you're going through a change in your life. And I, talked to every person I know who is a consultant. So my brother consults for banks. I have friends who consult for hotels and restaurants. I have people who are legal consultants. And I wanted to understand something I've always done, even though I'm a real dreamer, is I wanted to understand how the sausage is made. And so I asked everyone, how do you make money? What do you love about consulting? What do you hate about consulting? And after those six months, I had a really clear idea of what. I was getting myself into and i was more excited than i was i was petrified when i decided to open a consulting firm which i did probably in month like three i registered my business in may or june and i didn't launch it really officially until january of this year and i was thinking this is what my clients are going through they've decided they want to open a restaurant and they're asking their friends and family but a lot of people don't know how to run a restaurant. So I asked consultants because I knew a lot of consultants, but I found it very helpful, or I think I found that it would be helpful for people to have a guy like me to help them fulfill their dream. So I've read probably not everything he's
0: ever written, but I've read a lot of David Ogilvy over the years from Mm -hmm. a prolific advertiser. And what he said is that Every great company that's able to scale, they have a great product, which a lot of people have a great product, but that product is paired with a big idea. And so there's no shortage of hospitality consultants out there. And you could easily, based on your background, join ranks with them, but you didn't. You chose to go independent. And I believe that that's probably because you have your own song to sing. You have your own idea, your own big idea that's different from everybody else's. And this is the foundational thesis for your practice. What is that idea? Why did you go independent? And what is this thing that makes you so unique?
1: So I believe you can be a dreamer and a pragmatist. And when I started to look at the consulting space, I saw a lot of people who focus on philosophy and culture and kind of the squishy things that are important. And then I saw a lot of people who could design the best kitchen for you or could figure out the best way to organize a dining room for maximum dollars per square foot. And there weren't a lot of people out there who had done the thing for a long time at all different levels. Look, I started as a host and I ended up as a managing partner. I designed places, I closed places. I had some of the most profitable businesses at my former company, and I turned around some businesses that weren't so profitable. And I learned something all the way. Obviously, if you don't learn something, then I'd be a terrible consultant. And so I just kind of felt I had a broad range of things that most people don't have. Like, I'm not a franchise guy, right? So if you're looking to franchise, don't call me. I'm not your guy. And it's kind of been interesting because my clients who found me and i found over the past nine months, they're dreamers, typically from another industry, who have some money, but who don't want to lose all that money. And so they know what they don't know. And that has been the most rewarding thing ever for me. Because to see that aha moment in a 50-year-old executive who's a master in his or her thing but doesn't know anything about how to make money selling coffee and biscuits is a really amazing thing because they're obviously very smart people but they're approaching me as an equal which has just been so rewarding for me and way more rewarding than i think i was expecting so after 30 years at union square hospitality group
0: and with let's call it a year of consulting under your belt are you of the mind that any restaurant concept could become the next Union Square Hospitality Group. Is that a reality
1: for everyone? Yeah, I do. The thing that most people, I think, forget is the discipline that's needed to wake up every day and do something. And so whether you're trying to run a marathon or run a business, you have to do the thing every morning. You have to do the thing every day. And so I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts and A lot of your guests say something to the effect of, if you're planning on phoning it in, don't go into restaurants, right? And that's a really important thing because I think people who, especially, aren't in the industry feel like, oh, I can have this cool place where my friends can hang out and think I'm a really cool person because I'm a lawyer or I'm an investment banker or I'm a doctor. But I believe that the right people in place and the discipline to get it done, I really do believe that any restaurant can become the next Union Square Cafe or Gramercy Tavern, or daily provisions, or something that is, which is a much newer thing. But if you look at the discipline that Gramercy Tavern has, it's not just like being in the Marines, it's like being in special ops. And when you work there, you kind of don't realize it because you're already in that club. But when people come from the outside and they see it, it's like, oh, I get it. And what I mean by that, a lot of restaurants are known to have the best chef or the best food and they've used tweezers and all this kind of stuff, right? And that's awesome. But that's a third of the experience. They're terrible at the front door or their seats are uncomfortable or whatever. And so the discipline to look at everything you do, how you pay your employees, how you schedule time off, how you clean your front windows, it's that discipline that can be exhausting. And to me, that's what's exciting about it. If you want to sign up for that discipline and that hard work and doing it every day, bring it on. Yeah. You're really selling it, (laughs) Mark. But you know what? To me, that's success, right? Because if you run a firm that has a 40% profit margin and to you, that's success, I'd rather tell you right away that if you get 10 to 15%, you'll be really psyched. And that's what success looks like in our industry. I'd rather tell you that upfront rather than, wait until you wonder why you're not getting 30% profit after two years. Sure. To pull on that
0: thread around discipline. I've actually said this a couple of times recently, but everyone within the industry prizes innovation, right? Who's doing something new in a new way. But you look at the timeless brands like the Union Square cafes that are cranking. Here we are decades later. And it's less about innovation, and it's more about consistency, and it's more about discipline. And the truth is, you don't hear patrons outside the restaurant being like, man, if you check this place out, it's really innovative.
1: Innovation is for us. Right, 100%. That's the challenge. When I became general manager of Union Square Cafe back in the dark ages, I so wanted to take a certain salad off the menu because I'm so bored with this. The staff is so bored with it. And Danny was like, just look at an item sales report. And of course, of our appetizers, it represented 50% of our sales. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, yeah, you're not doing that. We have 10 other appetizers, but 50% are coming from this. I was a brand new general manager. I was like, okay, we can't forget how our bread is buttered. That said, on the flip side of that, we would do specials. And the specials were for the regular guests who were there for five days a week. Because they would get that salad once or twice a week, but we wanted them to go there five days a week. So the specials were largely for them because if they were going there five days a week, we didn't want them to get bored. And so that really could depend on if you have a special occasion restaurant or if you have a cafe. One of my clients has a muffin of the day, right? And people call ahead and ask about the muffin of the day. It's a breakfast place. And I was there for a few days. People really call. And they say, yeah, it's in a rural area. If I'm going to drive 10 minutes, I want to make sure that I like the muffin of the day. (laughs) That's wild. That's amazing. That's a $3 purchase. Sure. But they do that for them. Oh, you don't have chocolate chip today. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. I think that's great. And that's loyalty. It
0: is. And I think there's a place for it, but I can't imagine that you're getting into these consulting deals and innovating, right? Because I don't think anyone struggles with innovation and creativity in campaigns. I think people struggle with the boring stuff. I'll give you an example. I do these strategy sessions. It's part of my commitment to giving back. I'll get on a 45-minute call with anyone, and I'll try and set them on the right course. And I was talking to a really smart guy based out of Studio City yesterday. And he's got this bang up place. And he was like, and I love marketing and I'm super passionate about it. And I have these ideas for these commercials, right? And it's like kind of a situational comedy type scenario and this and that I was like, man, that sounds awesome. Do you do a monthly newsletter? And he was like, no. And I was like, maybe we should do that first, right? Are you collecting any- One day- cost
1: $19 a month. Right, <laughs>
0: that's the thing because what we're looking for is entrepreneurs and this is the point in all of it everybody's looking for these big things, right? I'm going to do this commercial. Millions of people are going to see it. It's going to go viral, and it's going to change the trajectory of my business. When change for most of us, if not all of us, is incremental over time. Not to say that there is an inflection point or a hockey stick moment, but generally, it's the hard work. On a marketing side, it's collecting the data, right? automating the communication, reminding people that you exist. These are the things that scale a business. And that's where people need, and it goes back to your whole point of discipline, right? It requires discipline to do the things that are less fun, but more effective.
1: When we were opening Porchlight, Danny Meyer, Mike Shane, and I, and Nick Bennett, we had a big conversation about getting the top bartenders in New York City. And there was a concern on some people's mind that we needed them to be the most creative people so they could come up with all the recipes. And where we landed was that we wanted to make sure that drink was the same, regardless of who the bartender was. And that if someone wanted something special, they could always request it from that incredibly creative bartender. But if you were getting a daiquiri or some basic delicious cocktail, we had eight bartenders when we opened, it should be identical for all of those eight bartenders. But if I came to you and you were my bartender and I said, Hey, I want to do an exploration. We also wanted them to be able to improvise on the spot. So, When we did our sort of auditions, we did both. We did, I think, a few recipes that they had to make and then a few sort of dealer's choices. And that was how we landed with these great, incredibly disciplined, but outrageously creative people. And also through that audition, we set the tone that said, for these, I think, 18 cocktails, there's no variation whatsoever. Outside of that, go for it. Teamwork makes the dream work. That's why Snibs is encouraging
0: you to team up with a coworker during their buy one, give one sale. For a limited time, when you buy one pair, they'll give you a free pair of their best selling non-slip shoe trusted by 100,000 plus workers, the original Space Cloud. This is the most comfortable work shoe you'll ever wear. They guarantee it. Use the promo code COWORKERFC, which gives you access to the buy one, get one offer. Visit snibs.co forward slash full comp and use the offer code coworker FC to get two pairs of shoes for the price of one. Let's talk about trust. A milestone for me, especially in the fine dining restaurant, was where we had built enough trust and enough understanding and enough fidelity that we were able to turn to the floor staff and say, if something's wrong, fix it, right? If a dish got dropped, pull it off the bill. If somebody's unhappy, make them happy. It was the only rule we actually had, which was everyone leaves happy, figure it out. But it took a long time to get there. And one of the things that I found most interesting through that process is because, I mean, we trained a few restaurant people, but pretty much everybody had come from somewhere else. It took a long time for the staff to internalize that idea. They would still come to us and say, it's Table 82's birthday. Should I get them a free dessert? And then, yes, of course you should. Go ahead and do it. And then split it off and we'll deal with it after the fact. But I think it's one of the things that we don't think about or that we don't realize is the reality of the situation is it's one thing to try and implement systems that will create that level of improvisation, which takes a lot of stress off the manager and for the owner operator gives them the opportunity to enjoy themselves, knowing that people are actively problem solving on the floor. But it took two weeks to design and a year to implement because nobody believed us, right? <laughs> time and time again, they would have this comp bill and the bill would be $100 and they're walking us through like, is this okay? And it's like, yeah, it's, it's all fine, right? Because you have a reason for everything you split off. And they were all really good reasons. How do you foster the trust around
1: improvisation? One interaction at a time. You are either building trust with every interaction or you're breaking it down. And that may seem harsh, but to use your example, if you are the GM or the founder or the owner, and you say for 10 family meals, guys, you got to trust me, blah, 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 blah. This is so important. Just do your thing. And you go home. It's now eight o'clock and you go home. And at nine o'clock this group of four come in and it's a bachelorette party and we want to do shots for four of them. I don't know. And you do it. And the manager says, I mean, don't you think four was a little too much? Oh, that just breaks my heart. That kind of stuff breaks my heart. Meanwhile, those four shots cost us, what, $4 maybe? And those people are on Instagram with their pictures. Hey, we went to this great place and that person will be once bitten, twice shy, right? That person is going to be concerned next time he or she wants to be that generous with a guest. To the guest, that was worth $40. To the bar, it only cost us $4. But to that person, that server, you've just crushed their soul. And that disconnect is the thing that I think is the difference between, or the consistency or the disconnect between a thriving business and one that doesn't have a chance.
0: You talk a lot about change management. And I think it would be helpful for you to define what that means to you.
1: Change management is, there's internal and external. So external, let's use an obvious one. There's a pandemic. We have to deal with it. How we choose to go through this thing that everyone's experiencing, there's that. So that's one bucket. And the other bucket is we want to rebrand this, something internally driven. We want to rebrand this concept, or we are thinking of going from Mexican to Italian food. How do we deal with that? Okay. So those are the two. As the leader, when I say leader, I'm talking about the founder or the CEO, because usually it's not the general manager, even it's a person above. It's having both fortitude to take a risk but also the trust in your team to be incredibly transparent with them. Because I believe you can be scared and brave at the same time. And sharing that sort of excitement and vulnerability is really important. It's crucial in change management. Because you don't know how it's going to turn out, but you do know you're going to give it your best shot. And being transparent and then being inclusive is important because you're probably going to end up with a better outcome because you may have this idea to go from a Mexican to Italian restaurant, but you realize you don't have any people who know Italian food on your team and they all know Mexican food. So talking about that and getting your team involved and saying, hey, I want to do this thing, but I really need help. Do you know anyone? Can you help? Etc. Etc. And I know I'm kind of making it sound simple, but it kind of is. A lot of what we do is negotiate with ourselves because we're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid, especially as the bosses, to say, I don't know something. And I learned probably eight or 10 years into my career that saying, I don't know, doesn't mean the employees are going to think I'm stupid. It means that they're going to trust me because they already know I'm the boss. I do their schedule. <laughs> you know, I sign their payroll checks. So they already know I'm the boss. So, I don't think there's any fear in that, but getting them involved as early as humanly possible is incredibly important.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. For me, especially at the fine dining restaurant, the vehicle for that were the pre shift meetings. And it's interesting because the, the truth is, if we were able to look at ourselves and our lives outside, we come to a decision and it's a big change for the restaurant. Maybe it's changing the cuisine or whatever it is, but it takes us months. To get to that decision. And then we turn to our teams and we say, this is what we're doing. You have a day to adjust. (laughs) Right? You have two weeks to wrap your mind around this. It took me two years to decide. Right. And so I use the pre-shift meeting as a great example. By and large, many of the people I talk to don't pre-shift. And they say, I've tried it and it just wasn't effective. And I completely agree. When I started doing pre-shift meetings, they were largely ineffective. I did all the talking. They did all the listening. They didn't really listen. And then it was done. And I would ask questions and nobody would say anything. I would ask for feedback and nobody would say anything. But then a month passed and one person said something. And two months passed and they started doing some of the talking. And six months, a year, two years down the road, they're doing all the talking. I'm doing all of the listening. I'm roadmapping where we're headed. I'm talking about the efforts that we're doing now. They're providing feedback on the initiatives that we're launching in real time. And it's this beautiful thing, but it didn't happen every day. I have been married for 10 years. I've been with my wife 12 years. You get conditioned to a certain behavior. The culture in my house is every time we decide to go out to eat, my wife asks me what I want to eat. And I've been conditioned over time to say, whatever you want, because no matter (laughs) what I say, it's going to be what she wants.
1: (laughs) Sounds like you have some discipline. That's good. I
0: do. Right. And what I have found is the happier she is, the happier I am. There's a parallel there because by and large, employees believe that you want them to say what they think you want to hear and they want that it's all about executing your vision, and that it's not collaborative. But a huge part of change management is changing the way I think our teams see their roles.
1: You reminded me of something because I've had similar challenges with pre meals But one of the things that we started to do at portslight I, I didn't ask anyone to do this, was we started sharing the PLs at pre meals And we also then, one of the bartenders said, I'd like to know what the daily goal is. At one of the pre-mails, you know, excuse me, Mark, I'd like to know. So we ended up adding that to the lineup notes. And one of the most rewarding things for me was when, let's say our goal was $10,000 or whatever. I'm just making that number up. The team starting at seven o'clock would start coming to me. Could you check the POS? Where are we on our goal? And I loved that. But yet I know so many restaurants that I've worked in, that I have friends who work in or that who I consult for who are afraid to share that kind of information. I'm like, no, you want them to hold you accountable. Also, there have been times where people come up and say, I see we're only at $6,000. I think we're overstaffed. Do you think we should send someone? Yeah. And that's when it starts to work because you can't just think of everything all the time because you might've been dealing with a complaint call or you might've been doing the schedule for next week. You were acting as a server during a party, so you weren't paying attention because you were really busy. And when you get that shared ownership is when things just start to hum and just work beautifully. And by the way, to me, that's culture. Like it's where your beliefs are actually being supported and built up. That's one of those transactions or those interactions
0: what should we steal from you? Think about all the nuggets of wisdom that you have rattling around in your head. Think about all of the, you know, those quick fixes, the low-hanging fruit that you supply to your clients. For the folks listening, what should they walk away and immediately do? Clean your front door.
1: Make sure your front door is the cleanest it's ever been. And I wouldn't say be a secret shopper because that you can't be a secret shopper in your own place. But I would just ask, when was the last time you dined in your restaurant or drank at your bar? And don't just always do it with the bartender that you hired 10 years ago. Sit in different sections. Because the famous story is that Mike Bloomberg, the mayor of New York, when he was the mayor of New York, used to call the resident hotline on a daily basis just to see how they were. Were they being friendly? And I think you have to know what you sell and know what that experience is. I use the term think like a guest. And for many years, a swing shift. So I worked one to 11 or something like that. And I loved walking into it. It was very, you learn a lot when you walk into a place at one in the afternoon, and it's a lunch place. Because of the wheels are coming off, you see that. And so slowing down and not going right into the office is really important saying hello to everyone on your team, even if you don't know their names. You might have 250 employees and you only know 100 of their names. That's okay. But you should still say hello to all of them. I refused for 30 years to walk into the office without saying hello to at least eight or 10 people. I was the morning manager for many years at different restaurants. I would always high five the line cooks at 8.30 in the morning. They were there at seven. I usually got in around eight or 8.30. The other thing is take an accounting course. I can say that because I was someone who I was a career changer. So I didn't know anything about accounting. I was this artsy fartsy kid who just happened to be friendly enough to not get fired from restaurants. But when I wanted to become a manager, I had to learn actually what a P and an L was. And so because of that experience, so I had mentors, I took courses, I became the best teacher of a and l because I knew there were a whole lot of people in our industry like me. And so if you did go to hotel school or restaurant school or something like that, people are going to expect that you know that. But maybe on the slide, go to a community college or go online and take an accounting course so you can actually really own the numbers. Because when you own the experience and then you own the numbers, there's no stopping you. There's just no stopping
0: The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us?
1: We need to prove that we are a place where you can have a family. We are an industry where you can have a family. And what's interesting is I've spent most of my time in the Northeast, which is kind of too bad. And most of it's in New York City. I was been in New York for 40 years. The challenge with New York is that you get this feeling that it's a whole bunch of people who are moving to New York to fulfill their dreams and they want to work in your restaurant. Totally not true. And it's been great because I have clients in Scotland. I have clients in Bristol, England. I have clients in Chicago and in rural Texas. And you know who works there? A whole bunch of single moms a whole bunch of dads who are a mechanic during the day and they wait tables at night or they cook at night. And if we could do a better job or we need to do a better job saying, no, this is a real job. This is a place where it's legitimate. And when I went from landscape architecture to working in restaurants, I was ashamed. By the way, my mother was a chef. She didn't want me want me to go into the restaurant industry. So the fact and then for many of those years, our industry, certainly not where I worked, treated people like dirt because they thought they could. And that's reprehensible. And we need to be acting like Amazon or these other places where you could have a flexible work schedule, you can have health care benefits, and you can make at least a living wage while raising your kids. And so there's overnight shifts, there's morning shifts. So you can work seven to three and be at home to help your kids do the homework. Or there's swing shifts where you can bring your kids to school or take a course in the morning and then show up at noon or one. We have this incredible flexibility. We just need to sort of act on it. Our industry suffers from razor-thin margins, and the
0: only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data-driven decisions. The numbers don't lie, and Yelp for restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And when restaurants pair that level of visibility with guest manager in Yelp ads, they experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's Mark Maynard. For more information on Mark, visit maynardconsulting.net. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.